You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, his name was Robert, and uh, he was a rather pious and uh, judgmental sort of guy, the sort of, the sort of guy that conservative churches sometimes attract. Uh, and this was a conservative church. It was the church that I've mentioned before, the one I spent my latter teenage years in, in Perth. I'm not going to mention the name of this church. It was a great church. Uh, but uh, uh, this, this guy, Robert, was new to our youth group. And he was fairly pretentious. And, and, and some of us found him quite difficult to handle. This was about his second week there, as I recall. And uh, we used to, uh, in those days, uh, youth groups were very strong. And uh, we had 40 to 60 uh, young people would get together every week. And sometimes we'd go into prayer clusters. That's what they were called, little prayer clusters. And, and you'd meet across the, the large hall of, of this particular church in Perth. Well, this night I found myself in the same prayer cluster as Robert. Uh, and that was, that was fine, except that what happened was that my mate Kevy rolled in late. Now, Kevy was... His mother used to call him, when his mother introduced him to people, she'd say, this is my son, Kevy. He's a bit of a scruff. That was a word, in, a phrase in those days. And uh, Kevy was a guy had long hair, he used to wear little John Lennon glasses, I remember that, and big duffel coats in winter. Uh, Kevy was a legend. We, he was my mate, and we, we, we loved Kevy because he had contacts in the rock world. Uh, for those in my era, he knew little Stevie of, of, of the Easy Beats, and uh, that made him really cool. And uh, we would, uh, young people going, well, what the hell is that? You know, I mean, but, you know, Easy Beats were big. And uh, he would get free passes sometimes when the, when the groups would come to Perth. And, you know, Kevy was a cool guy. Here's the thing. Kevy, beyond the rough exterior, beyond this scruffy external appearance, Kevy loved God. And, and he was a, a very powerful member of that youth group and was responsible for bringing many young people to Christ. Well, Rob... Robert, second week, okay, he sees Kevy come in late, so his opening prayer is, oh God, please, I don't know who that guy is who arrived late, but he, he sure looks like he needs you, and I pray that he, yeah, absolutely. Now what Robert didn't realise was that in that same prayer cluster was Kevy's very loyal, uh, very defensive older brother, Ian. <laughs> and Ian launched into another prayer. Oh God, please help us not to be judgmental. Help us to sort of see people as you see people. And wow, well, uh, you know, and like this is prayer dialogue happening. You know, we talk about conversational prayer. Well, this was very much a conversational prayer. And look, you know what? I've never forgotten that incident. And every time I read this parable, it reminds me of that moment that happened way back when I was in my in my late teenage years. Uh, here we have a, a pious Pharisee. And a penitent tax collector in the temple at the exact same time. And uh, the Pharisee prays in a very holier-than-thou way, a very self-righteous manner, and immediately starts comparing himself with this guy who's over on the side, who's obviously having a, a very bad season of his life. And the Pharisee jumps onto that and thanks God that he's not like him. Meanwhile, the tax collector is lurking in the shadows. He can barely lift his eyes heavenward. And the Bible says he beats on his breath breast whatever that whatever that means uh, but you get a sense of desperation here and he just cries out to God for for mercy and to have pity on him like most of our Lord's parables this parable was intended to shock people it was intended to stir people up it was intended to, to push them in terms of their current paradigm to challenge their current paradigm 
And friends, look, it would have done just that. It really would have. Especially when, as, we record, as it's recorded in verse 14, Jesus says this, I tell you, the tax collector and not the Pharisee was the one in the right with God when he went home. Now, you can only interpret that one way. Only the tax collector's prayer actually got through. The Pharisee, just, his prayer just didn't, didn't make it. That, that's, very, that's, a, that's a stunning revelation. Now, this would have shocked the hearers, the original hearers, because although we may have preconceived ideas about the Pharisees, mainly because of their ongoing conflict with, with Jesus, nevertheless, uh, historical records show us that among the people, they were a well-respected group, highly respected, considered to be men who were very deeply committed to God. Now, it could be said that many of them had succeeded in fooling the masses, right? Because uh, it took the penetrating divine scrutiny of Jesus to expose their hypocrisy, and he did that constantly. But on the surface, at least as part of the religious system in those days, the Pharisees were quite respected. Of course, when it comes to the tax collectors, they were universally despised, as we know from the story of Zacchaeus and other references. The tax collectors, because of their blatant corruption, their, their rip-off tactics against their own people, the Jewish people. So why don't we earth this? What would be a modern equivalent to all of this? It might be like we're a highly respected bishop in our city. And uh, let's say a, a parliamentarian... Uh, under suspicion of rotting the system, uh, with a possible union background. Does that, does that sort of help to put it together? Uh, let's just say that they both went up to the cathedral to pray at the same time. And Jesus would say that the prayers of the godly bishop just bounced off the ceiling, whereas the prayers of the parliamentarian went straight through. And we all go, ooh, we'd, we'd be kind of like a bit shocked by that. Well, let's look at these two prayers and see what we can glean to assist us in our own prayer life. It seems like the Pharisee had two problems. And the first one had to do with connecting with God. Oh, like, I mean, he, he thought he was connecting. He thought that God would be thrilled to hear about how good and about how righteous he had been, how much better he was compared to some of these other people around him. But sadly, the Bible says he stood apart by himself and prayed. And if you check your Bible, it might have a little notation on the bottom of the page if it doesn't actually build it into the text, a little notation that says, it has it in the Good News Bible, that says that this verse is rendered in many manuscripts this way. He stood up and prayed to himself. How sad is that? <laughs> Praying to himself. Now, periods of uh, dry spirituality will do that to you. I'm sure I'm not the only one here who's had seasons like that where your prayers just seem to bounce off the ceiling. Uh, our attempts to, go, to connect with God uh, seem quite futile. If you've experienced that, and I'm sure you have, then uh, be encouraged. We're in good company. The psalmist had similar experiences. Let me share with you a couple of them. Like, for instance, Psalm 77 and uh, the first few verses. The psalmist writes, I cry aloud to God. I cry aloud. He hears me. In times of trouble, I pray to the Lord. But all night long, I lift my hands in prayer. I can't find comfort. When I think of God, I sigh. When I meditate, I feel discouraged. 
prayer is supposed to be uplifting. This guy feels discouraged. He keeps me awake all night, so I'm worried that I cannot speak. I think of days gone by, and I remember years of long ago. I spend the night in deep thought. I meditate. And this is what I ask myself. Will the Lord always reject me? Will He never again be pleased with me? Wow. In the dark of night, prayer can hit you like that if you're really in a bad place. What about Psalm 35? Here's a guy who's got some problems with friends, with certain friends. He says, they accuse me, shouting, we saw, you, we saw what you did, but you, O oh Lord, you've seen this, so don't be silent. Don't keep yourself far away. Rouse yourself, O oh Lord. Defend me. Rise up, my God. Plead my cause. What are you doing, Lord? I'm, I'm praying and nothing seems to be happening. Had those sort of times? Well, here's a guy who the Bible says prayed with himself. You know, when I think of <laughs> prayers that, that maybe don't connect in quite the way they're intended, I think of the parliamentary prayer. Uh, does anybody know that prayer that they pray before every parliamentary session? They launch into the Lord's Prayer, but the beginning of the parliamentary prayer is, Almighty God, we humbly beseech Thee to vouchsafe Vouchsafe, does anybody use that? I, I, to impart. To vouchsafe thy blessing upon this parliament. Direct and prosper our, deliber our deliberations to the advancement of thy glory. That's thy glory. And the true welfare of the people of Australia. And of course, um, then follows more often than not behaviours and attitudes that are about as far from God's will as you can get. Well, in contrast, the tax collector connected with God. And uh, we'll get to him in a moment. Meantime, the other problem for the Pharisee was in the area of comparison. He was comparing himself with others. That's what he was doing. Rather than measure his life against the righteousness of God, he requires, and what he requires rather, the righteousness of God and what he requires Here's the Pharisee, he kind of lowered the bar dramatically and was prepared to do a rough comparison with those around him, including a guy who was clearly in a bad place, clearly in a bad season of his life. But see, the Pharisee failed to realize salvation, salvation being made right with God is not about being good, it's about a relationship, of course. It's about the transformation of our hearts, we know that. So here's a guy who, to be fair, to be fair, was the product of a religious system that, uh, that had moved a long way from David's Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renewing me a right spirit. Wow, that reflected incredible spiritual maturity. Something had happened in the intervening centuries and the Jewish faith had pretty much been reduced to a series of do's and don'ts, responses to a very complex and difficult set of rules and regulations. Consequently, this man's prayer takes on the form of a, a kind of a self-assessment, a sort of moral report card that he presents to the great judge. What do you think of this? I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? I mean, I'm a lot better than this guy, for a start. Well, in contrast, the tax collector seems to exhibit traits which Jesus considers, considers vital for an effective prayer life. He's the one, the only one in this duo who emerges as, as clearly gaining God's favor and forgiveness. And the striking, the most striking characteristic 
of his prayer is raw honesty. That's so abundantly clear. Verse 13, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Have pity on me. Reminds me of uh, a, a Christian comedian who was around in the 70s, a guy called Mike Warnke. Any Mike Warnke fans here? Oh, Warren, bless you, mate. Yeah. Who else was that? I, did I see Sam? Excellent work. Fantastic. We've got some, uh, some well-read and uh, well-listened people here in the congregation. Uh, Mike Warnke, you know, he was an ex-drug addict, ex-alcoholic, dramatically converted to Christianity. And he used to, in one of his, uh, in one of his little routines, he'd talk about the, you know, the floweriness of some prayers. A bit like the parliamentary prayer. He said, you know, I can't believe how people go, oh, heavenly father, we beseech thee in thy greatness that thou mightst, you know. He said, look, when I was coming off a, a bender, coming out of a, a, a bad bout with crack cocaine and alcohol, I'd go into my living room, fall on the floor prostrate and just go, help! A bit of a contrast, you know, like just getting right to the, just getting right to the heart of the matter. Raw honesty. There were a number of really honest prayers expressed to Jesus during the course of his ministry. Blind Bartimaeus, for one. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is a time when the crowd's trying to push him back, you know, get, get rid of him. And he comes through with great honesty. The man with the dying son. Remember, he comes to Jesus. A little exchange. And then he makes this incredible honest statement. I do have faith, but not enough. Help me have more. And then, of course, the dying thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And these are just a few of the honest prayers expressed to Jesus. And in each case, Jesus responds eagerly with great compassion. Something else about this tax collector. He had an acute awareness of his own inadequacy, his own sinfulness, his own guilt. There's no pretense here. There's no attempt to hide the gravity of his failure. Rather, there's tremendous vulnerability, amazing malleability, awesome surrender to God in this simple prayer of this man. And of course, these are vital components. Jesus says it. These are vital components to effective prayer and to a healthy and meaningful relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus believed this to be so. He believed this to be extremely important to the point where he saw fit to tell this confronting story to the people of his day. But friends, like a lot of the stories that Jesus told, we've got to be careful we don't get the wrong message. They were simple stories designed to make a point. And sometimes people make a lot out of the stories that were designed just really to convey one point. So there's a bottom line to this story. There is a bottom line. So let me share this with you. The bottom line is this. In our prayers, this is what Jesus is saying, we must avoid confusing, number one, boldness with arrogance i mean the bible tells us to approach our heavenly father with boldness with confidence with the absolute certainty of being heard let me remind you of hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 look at this hebrews 10 19 we have then my friends complete freedom to go into the holy place by means of the death of jesus he opened up for us a new way. Don't, don't hesitate. We've got the freedom to go running into the Father's throne room like the, uh, the daughters of President Obama apparently run frequently into the Oval Office. You know, and Who else gets that sort of access? Well, if you're a child of the President, you get that sort of access. 
But that's a far cry. It's a far cry from the self-opinionated, self-centered arrogance exhibited by the Pharisee. Here's something else. We must avoid confusing petition with piety. In other words, we're meant to ask for things in prayer. Of course, there are so many references to that. The Bible makes that very clear. Can I remind you of some of them? Matthew 7, verse 7. Look at this. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Philippians 4 and, uh, and verse uh, 6. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything, but in all your prayers, ask God for what you need. Always asking him with a thankful heart. And uh, John 14 and verse 14. This is uh, a powerful reference. John 14, verse 14. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we can unpack you know, what that means, asking in my name. There's the qualification. It's not so like asking to win Powerball. And, you know, it's got to be in my name. And we can unpack that a lot. But you know what? Nowhere, nowhere in any of these references is there an indication that by boasting about how good we are, about how righteous we are, will that make any difference at all to the outcome of the, of the prayer? That's where the Pharisee got it wrong. He got it wrong big time, big time. No, it's a humble and penitent heart which God requires. But even having said that, we must avoid confusing humility with self-denigration. I sometimes talk to people in pastoral work who are convinced they have fallen to a point that is beyond God's grace and forgiveness. In extreme cases, they are convinced that God is actually punishing them, that he's actually withholding answers to prayer because of how upset he is with them, because of their unworthiness. Now, friends, to think this way is to negate the very core of the gospel. And not one of us is, is beyond thinking like that under the right circumstances. But that is to negate the very core of the gospel because our righteousness, our salvation has nothing to do with how good or bad we are. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, it was while we were still sinners God didn't wait for us to kind of improve and, and, and you know, kind of tidy ourselves up a little bit before he sent Jesus. While we were yet sinners. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ died for sins once and for all. For sins. A good man died on behalf of sinners in order to lead us to God. Nothing to do with our righteousness. All to do with his love and grace and compassion here's one final thing we need to avoid confusing we must avoid confusing form with formation I don't want to be too harsh on this Pharisee but I, I kind of get the feeling he prayed this prayer before you know I fast twice a week I pray my I pay my tithes I'm not an adulterer I'm better than this guy and others like him it's, it's a little bit, it, it's very pretentious, but it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit too liturgical, a bit too predictable for my liking, a bit too ritualistic. Not a lot of heart disclosure here, is there? You know, God is not so much interested in the form of our prayers as he is interested in the formation of our spiritual lives. 
and the formation of an ever-deepening relationship with him. He's not so much interested in form. He's interested in our formation. Our prayers are not meant to impress him. They are meant to help us press into him and draw on all the strength and the power and grace and forgiveness that's available through him and through the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's a simple story. How does it grab you today? Simple parable. All about prayer and the different forms of prayer. Somebody prayed or came forward for prayer in the last service wanting to pray that their, their prayer life would move from form to formation. It's easy to get into a rut with our prayer lives. Cover the same topics over and over again. All the time concealing the very heart of what's happening within us. He knows. He desperately wants us to disclose that. Reveal that as part of the healing that he wants to bring. How's your prayer life? Does it need invigoration? Does it need to move from form to formation? Don't confuse self-denigration. Oh, I'm so worthy with humility. That's, a, that's not the way it is. Reflect on these points. And step into a new experience of prayer with God this week. He wants that and it'll change your life. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?